0: Uh, amen, and good morning, and a little bit different of a start for us. Uh, we switched the fellowship break a little bit there, but we also had a different kind of song. Usually it's kind of an upbeat, clappy, clappy song before uh, I come up, but that song uh, has particular importance to what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning, and uh, is, uh, is, a, is a wonderful song as well. A song I actually first heard uh, at Laurels, uh, so... Thanks to Laurels there. As we, we actually learned a few more new ones this past Laurels, uh, last Thursday. That's when we go to the nursing home in Charlottesville as a church. So, um, a wonderful time. The uh, title of my lesson this morning is a part one, so you'll have to tune in for part two. But part one is Communities of Grace and Trust, part one, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. We will be continuing through the book of Ephesians and talking about the next step as we go through uh, the spiritual disciplines as a church. For those of you... Uh, who've been coming on Wednesdays, we have been going through the spiritual disciplines. Uh, and I, there might be some left back there on the table, but I made bookmarks of the spiritual disciplines, if you're unsure of what those are, uh, or if you'd like to go deeper uh, there for what we're talking about Wednesday. But those disciplines have an impact on us individually, but they also have an impact on us communally and as it relates to one another. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, if you can't turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, and the uh, I just want to say what a great service it's been so far. Thanks to the awesome welcome by the Riggs uh, to convict us right off the bat with that great thought of God and his compassion. Uh, To hear Tiffany sing that that wonderful song during communion and to have uh, our our hearts pricked by the vulnerability of Nicole and and Will. um, And also the encouragement of knowing how uh, that that Will finally knows how much money he has. And so uh, these things have been great so far. But uh, in Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 going to set the stage a little bit here. You know, community is, a, is an important thing. Uh, it's, a, it's an interesting idea because we live in a highly individualistic society, but a society that I think is learning and, and seeing how important community is. So uh, they try to, we try to create it uh, in different, different ways uh, to try to fabricate that community. But a lot of times people feel that even though they're around other people, there's not, they don't feel like they're in that community. So to have actually, to be part of a community is a couple of things. To actually be around people is part of it, but to have a feeling of solidarity with those people is a big part. That's why we tend to have identity based on an ethnic group. I am, you know, Nigerian, for example. If I'm Nigerian, right, or even a, maybe perhaps part of a tribe within Nigeria, you have a certain solidarity with that tribe. Uh, perhaps it's a neighborhood or, you know, you meet somebody where you grew up, oh, you're from Boston or you're from L.A., oh, I am too, and there's, a, there's an identity that comes from some of those things that, that have that solidarity, Um, let's see, if I try to pull back up, losing my, uh, there it is. But there's a certain solidarity that comes from those things. And what you see is there's an inevitable problem with church because church really tries to bring about community. But what do you actually happen to notice about most churches? is That they're not actually unified over their identity in Christ. They're unified over their, the same identity that roots them out there, which is their ethnic, they have an ethnic church. They have a, Korean church, right? Or you have a, a white church or a black church, or you have a rich church or a poor church. And that's not, that's, that's, that's not different than what the first church first churches felt. But actually in an even deeper way. But I think one of the things we have to realize is that growth and health, uh, spiritual maturity cannot happen without the help of other people. And we have to come to that uh, awareness, but it's also a highly difficult uh, endeavor, but we also have to realize uh, we have to be able to notice what is the point, what are we trying to achieve together, and then how are we trying to achieve that together? Uh, because there will be obstacles. But healthy spiritual growth only happens within community. Uh, one of the things that a lot of us know is that actions do, in fact, speak louder than words. One of the, the, the great things about that uh, is that you know, we can really show our love by our actions, but one of the difficult things is that I can actually preach Not that I'm not saying I I have, but I could actually preach the perfect sermon uh, on forgiveness, love, evangelism, faith, reading the Bible. But if the the atmosphere of this church is um, cynical and critical and uh, abusive or emotionally uh, or or independent uh, or uh, manipulative, you're not going to walk out of here with the sermon. You're going to walk out of here with the atmosphere. You're going to walk out of here with the environment. And that is a kind of a law of communication. You will, always, you will always walk away with the actions or the behavior that you feel from somebody else rather than what they're saying. Yeah. When, the go, when the two go head to head, that is. When the two go head to head, actions do speak louder than words. And I think a lot of times this is one of the reasons we have so many kids, not just in our, our church. I think actually our church has done a pretty good job of this. But all over, Christians all over the world see their kids grow up in the, in the home. Right. Hey, they're pretty good Christians in the home. They leave the house and they're just gone. Because it was true as long as someone was saying it, but did they actually see, that the, was the environment at home, was the atmosphere at home something that was compelling to them or something that was healthy for them, something that garnered trust in them, or, or was it kind of a two-facedness? And the reason for this is because our emotions are not a closed-circuit system. For example, uh, your circulatory system, your blood vessels, that's closed-circuit. Um, Dorota's blood vessels really have nothing to do with mine. Like, hers can... Like Mine could fail and then she'd be fine over there. Just sitting. there. Her, her blood would keep pumping. It's a closed system. But emotionally, we are open looped. Right. Which means that if I come into church and I'm like, yeah, but I meet somebody and then like they're cynical or critical, what am I, what's going to happen to me? Well, I'm at, that's going to have an impact on me. And so the actual, so we actually depend on each other uh, for emotional health. That's a big deal. All right. So. As I'm saying this, you probably go, this is, this is a massive deal because it can, it can seem easy. Let's just set up great church services. Let's set up great Bible talks and devotionals and small groups. But it, it, is, it is actually not near enough to be able to, to, be able to help us uh, live the life that God, that God has called us to live. It actually is heavily influenced by our relationships with each other. For example, the American Medical Association survey found that cardiac care units where nurses' general mood was depressed had a death rate that was four times higher than on comparable units. So choose your cardiac care unit with care, okay? Um, get upbeat nurses. But no, like when, when the nurses were actually depressed, they're actually at four times higher death rate. People with, with, with heart problems, that, it, that, that the demeanor, the behavior, the demeanor of dad does matter. Your kid could be hearing a perfect perfectly well preteen lesson or a kid's lesson or... Go home, but if, if, the, if the, the atmosphere at home is manipulative or critical or, or derogatory or focused on something else, like put God first, then you leave here. No, no, actually, we're going to put school first. If, they're getting, if the kids are getting two different gospels, they're going to go with the one that actually is reinforced in their environment. And we know what the school is, is reinforcing, and I'm pretty sure it ain't Jesus, unless you go to maybe some kind of Christian school, but even then, it's a different story. But still, like we, we have a lot going on in terms of what's influencing our emotional health. And so it actually has caused me to take a step back and realize, wow, um, this is really important. I, I, just, I, can't, I can't any longer get away with, I'll just take care of myself and kind of do my best. And it kind of, There's always sort of like me holding back my heart to people to kind of protect um, in that way. And also, too, I'm kind of always reserving the right to to leave if we want to. Um, One of the things that a a famous preacher says about marriage is a lot of people today won't get married because, well, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me I'm married. But you're not really married if you don't get married, if you don't sign the piece of paper, because you're reserving the right to leave when you want to. So you're still reserving self. You're still saying, I'm more important than you if you don't get married. It's the same idea. It's the same idea here with what is going on with, with the scriptures and with the Bible. The sermon versus interaction with other disciples. So what we want, what we, what we want to aim for is a community that actually is a community of grace that will shape us. It'll actually help us have security, trust, integrity, freedom, creativity, maturity, joy, and even physical safety. In other words, a grace-based community drives spiritual growth. So community is massively important. But the first church, one of the first churches here, they had a little, hit, a little history a little bit of history. You know, our country has a little history. Yeah. Most countries do, by the way. Um, in Ephesians, this letter is written to Jews and Gentiles. Now, those words don't have a lot of meaning to us. They had plenty of meaning to them. About 100 years uh, before this book is written, Ephesians, uh, there's what's called the Abomination of Desolation. You'll read about it in Mark a little bit. But basically, it's this. What happens is a Syrian Gentile named Antiochus, Epiphanes, it's an epic name. He goes into the temple, the Holy of Holies, behind the curtain where the, only the most holy of Jews can go. And pigs are unclean to Jews, of course. And Antiochus takes a pig, takes swine, he goes into the Holy of Holies, and he slaughters the pig in front of all the Jews. And they attack and, they, they attack and kill many thousands of Jews. The Gentiles know something about the Jews. They won't, they won't fight on Saturday. They won't fight on the Sabbath. So the Gentiles attack every Sabbath. And the Jews die by the thousands because they refuse to fight on the Sabbath. The Gentiles killed them, manipulating their faith, attacking them, taking advantage of them. Uh, The Jews began to uh, see themselves as the people of God, so they pulled away. And a Jewish prayer, uh, actually, a Jewish prayer began, uh, a pretty common Jewish prayer, with, thank you, God, that you did not make me a Gentile. You know the next sentence? And thank you that you did not make me a woman. So male Jews, maybe not unlike maybe male, uh, male uh, white men here in America, kind of have some privilege right there, right? Of oh, I'm glad I'm not a woman. I'm glad I'm not, you know, a minority here. Oh, goodness. So you can see that on one side you have Jew privilege. You also have Gentile uh, uh, insecurity because you could probably know what they would feel, right? Now, they did commit some atrocities. The Jews committed atrocities as well. This was a decades long war between both. If you ever went to the temple, they found this actually uh, in uh, the 1870s. They found it a year, 150 years ago. If you go to the temple in Jerusalem, they found a sign. So if you go into the temple, there's an outer sanctuary and an inner sanctuary. There's a sign that says if any Gentile goes past this point, they have only themselves to thank for their loss of life. So Gentiles could go worship the one God who, who supposedly loves them, but could only go so far before the Jews would kill them. Those people are worshiping together on Sunday morning. And they're having a bit of a problem getting along. The Gentiles are insecure because they think, you're telling us God loves us, but we don't feel that way. We don't feel welcome. We don't feel loved. And we don't feel like we belong. Like any minority culture would. The Jews, who for so long have pinned their hopes to this law, this Bible, circumcision, uh, Sabbath, these festivals, obeying the word of God. And if rightly so, It is they have held on to it as a light to the world. They have seen themselves as sometimes better than others because they obey these commandments. Yeah. And so on one side, you have insecurity. I'm not enough, will never be enough. And on the other side, you have also insecurity, but clinging to this apparent uh, ethical code or even just like obedience or legalism. Mm-hmm. Like we are better than you. Now, these two types of people are brought together on Sunday morning. Paul sits down in his jail because there's not much else to do in jail. And Paul sits down and he writes a letter to the Ephesians because he's heard. Maybe a couple things have happened. In Ephesians chapter two, verse 11, Paul writes by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised. They're like, yeah, we know. Come on, man. Remember formerly that you Gentiles by birth are called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the body, by human hands. Remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing, so that, that's, that, that's that wall at Jerusalem. Christ has destroyed that, that wall of division in Jerusalem, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death in their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to God the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Imagine how you'd feel as a Gentile. These letters were read publicly before the whole church. Can't, I can't, I just imagine people smiling or maybe even on the inside, like, man, amen. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, You two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the spirit. So a lot of that is a lot's going on. But Paul writes, listen, Gentiles, let's be real. You were separated. You were estranged from God. But so were we. And Jesus came and he's preached to both. And by the way, you who think you're better than those because they're not circumcised. That was done by human hands. And that temple you find you have so much pride in was built by human hands. And these things that you think are so powerful, this commandment, these laws, this, this legalism from obeying scripture that makes you so, so incredible, this is all human. But Christ came down and has given both of us access to God through one spirit. Now, once again, even as this scripture is read to that church in Ephesus, you can imagine the Jews kind of like, ah, because even the words God's chosen people That phrase has been used for 2,000 years about a very particular people. And it was not Gentiles. And and now Paul goes, we are all God's chosen people. They're like, ah, but nope. Okay, but they're like kind of God's chosen people. But we're like really God's chosen people. You can see that the sermon wouldn't be enough. They would need to actually live this out in community with one another. Jews and Gentiles. And it wasn't going to be happening anywhere else, by the way. They were going to have to actually transcend the barriers, not just the barrier at the temple, but the barriers between each other. The barriers that they put up and the barriers that we put up as well. And I began to think about what are the barriers that we put up? Now, there's the barriers that come naturally. It's not your fault. It's not really my fault. We, we have barriers, we have geographic barriers and ethnic barriers and you know ex- experience barriers. Like things we just, you're just not going to really ever understand, right, what someone else has gone through. There's certain barriers that we can, we, can, we can face or we can fight doctrine barriers or I grew up this, I grew up that. Now that I think we could talk about a little bit later but I want to talk about the barriers that we put up ourselves. The ones that we have control over. The ones that we can focus on in our hearts. Whether we're Jews this morning or Gentiles, you know, metaphorically. Whether you feel like I, I, am, a, I am a little privileged. I, I, I have been living quite well, actually. And I am God's chosen. Uh, or if you feel like I I know God says I should be part of his family. I don't feel that. I feel like I'm told to come here, but no further. I don't feel welcome here. I think a lot of us feel that. But a lot of us ascribe to this type of doctrine. More right behavior plus less wrong behavior equals godliness. One of the great problems uh, in church, and especially as we focus in on probably what we do as a church, one of the, the problems is that we come into the faith we come into uh, what it is to be a Christian. And we think that when we get baptized, we get a special ability to manage our sin really well. Um, you know, we get this sin management theory that if we can just, we can kind of manage our sin better. And we begin to use the word ought a lot. Maybe not ought, because it's kind of an old word. But we oughta. Like, oh, uh, how are you doing, man? How's it been going spiritually? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm working on it, growing, I'm praying. Um, we begin to tell you all the things we're doing. How are you, grow- oh, you doing spiritually? Been going to church so good. I've been reading my Bible so good. It's amazing. I don't. Know, I don't know that we even really think about it. I just think that's our first thought. Is let me tell. I do it everything else, right? Yeah. Let me tell you what I've been doing. Yeah. Let me tell you what I've. Been, and we can think if more right behavior outweighs less wrong behavior, we're doing quite well. Yeah. And then God likes us now a bit more. He's like, wow. This past week, I've uh, looked at your ledger, and you're coming out uh, in the black. So uh, hey, well done. To plus 200, right, a quarter. This is great. This is great stuff. It's as if God were doing that um, every time. But it really, I think what happens is we we all struggle with insecurity. And uh, it sets us up to fail and live in hiddenness. I think a couple things happen is we begin to think about walking with Christ as just kind of celebrating periodic success in spiritual growth, like here and there, and here's a little bit of growth here, here's a little bit of growth there. And, and what happens is we... we we either feel like I'm not growing and I should, and we begin to kind of pull back, and we live lives of hiddenness, and we put the mask on. We come to church and we we put the mask on. We don't really let people in. And the other side is we we can't live with the idea that we're not enough, so we begin to kind of pretend like we are, and we have like I am growing, I am awesome, I am thank praise God, and we're just we we, we either become Jews or Gentiles. We either become arrogant. And like, look what I'm doing. Or we can fall back into insecurity of I just I'm never going to be enough. And honestly, this looks pretty bad for me every week. Therefore, God must not approve of me. And if we feel consistently like God does not approve of us. How in the world are we supposed to live this life that God has called us to do? If 94 percent of the time we feel like we are disappointing God, we are letting him down. It's a hard thing to do. There are two constants in our lives. One constant is you will always be dealing with your sin issues. Yeah. You will always be dealing with your sin issues. Yeah. The other constant is you trusting who God says you are. Yeah. I got a question. Which, which arrow do you spend more time on? Oh, bro. Talk about it. Which arrow Talk about that, bro. do you spend most of your time in the top arrow and try to get to the bottom one? Mm-hmm. Working on my sin, working on my sin. Or do you spend most of your time in the bottom arrow? Trusting the top one will be taken care of. You know, there's a, there's a big difference between willpower, right? Willpower is, that's usually our attack, right? He's come to church. I got to, all right, I got to do more, okay? He's making some good points. The last few weeks, I have not been coming to midweek. I've not been reading my Bible. All right, here we go. This week, I'm going to willpower. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it done. One of two things will happen. You'll do really well. Then you'll get prideful. How could you? One thing, you won't do it. You'll fail. You go, I blew it again. But be careful about willpower, right? It's really kind of no power at all. Willpower is no, not really any kind of power. The first, if we're at the top part, we're usually trying to use willpower. We will inevitably fail with willpower. No matter how you slice it, how you try, you cannot ever be enough. I had a Bible study recently with a guy at UVA. We looked at the, the scripture that says, hate your mother, hate your father, hate your own life. And I said, why does Jesus say this? Why does he say hate? Why does he use this word? And the guy goes, he wants to, Jesus wants to make sure that we can cut it. And I said, you really think that's what Jesus is after? Yeah, he wants to weed us out, and he wants to make sure that only the best of us can follow him. Wow. And I said, do you think you're going to cut it? And he said, I, I think so. I was like, do you think I can cut it? He was like, I, I think so. And then I was like, we can't. <laughs> and then I was like, that's not why he's saying this. This is not, no. I think Jesus is actually very aware of the fact that you and I fall drastically short of godliness. But I think that's kind of what we naturally think. Jesus wants to know if we can cut it. That's what he wants. He wants to find out if we have the metal, if we have the the ability, the integrity, the strength. And then we just get discouraged. And then we just live these lives of hiddenness. And the one thing that comes from the top level is inauthenticity. And it kills us because environment that is inauthentic is... Abhorrible. It's annoying. It's 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 you show up at a group, no matter how good the Bible talk lesson is or how tasty the treats are, if it is an environment of of people not being authentic and real on, and honest, it's not a it's not an environment anybody wants to be a part of. Even sometimes the people in it. There's a lot of churches that get to they get stuck, they get they get become dead churches. I talked to a guy recently. He's like, my church is just we're stuck in all these traditions and people won't change. They won't budge on anything. And they, have this, they, they, just, they will not be real. And it is really tough when you go that direction. There's a point of no return. We get to that place. You know, this sets us up to fail and live in hiddenness. Which of these two constants defines your focus every week? You know, there's a great verse in Hebrews 11 that says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think that kind of encapsulates this here. Trusting who God says I am. And that's not rah-rah, stuff, all right? That's not, okay, Drew, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. You're a good guy. Let me, you know, it's like using willpower to like, Drew, God loves me. God loves me. And I think what's interesting about that is we have to have a deep understanding of how God truly feels about us and not just um, sort of like will ourselves into kind of fake believing it. Example. If you take a caterpillar to a scientist and they test the caterpillar in any number of ways, including DNA, the scientist will say, this is a butterfly. And the caterpillar might say, nah, man, I'm a caterpillar. Come on, check me out. I got nothing. A little, a little pudgy, a little hairy, not attractive. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's a little insecure, the caterpillar. I don't know. But he goes, no, no, no. He is. I see what he's, what he's going to be. And even he sees that our DNA within us, that you are. It's not just, I, I love you for the butterfly you will become. He says, no, you're a butterfly now. I see it in you now. You don't. And that is what it is for, to really believe. Okay, because I can, I can think, yeah, God loves the man I will be once I really start praying like I should. No, no, no. God has seen me. He knows me. And Jesus has already died for me. What else do you want? God has accepted us now. It is amazing how important stories are for this. Stories are really powerful. Um, and st- I think we've got to tell ourselves the right story. And when we tell ourselves the wrong story, it's hard to get out of that story. Stories are powerful. Movies are stories. You ever watch a, um, a dark, intense movie? You kind of leave there. How do you feel? Kind of dark and intense, right? You leave, a, leave a, mo- a sports movie with a lot of good montages. You'll walk out of there like, yeah, let's go play basketball. Like, Let's go, let's go box. Like after watching Rocky, I'm like, I'm gonna go chase a chicken. Like let's go do it. Let's go. I'm I'm on it. I'm gonna go work out. I'm gonna go run the steps. Like there's something in movies that's called mirroring in our brain, where you a story actually you you kind of mirror that story. So when you're telling yourself a story, I'm not enough. I'm not gonna make it. I'm sort of a I'm a sinner who tries his best or tries her best. Uh, I kind of come to church when I can. I'm not really strong. No one really. I don't have any many spiritual gifts. I mean, I, I don't really. If you're just telling yourself that every day. It's not surprising that you'll actually match the story you tell yourself. Stories are vastly important. And if we tell ourselves the right story, we can launch from that bottom line. One of the reasons I wanted us to sing that song this morning, I love to tell the story. It's a wonderful song, but I think we have to... When I first sang it, I thought, I don't feel that way. I was like, I don't love... What story? Oh. What story do I apparently love to tell that I'm, you know, you ever sing a song? You're like, I love to tell the story that you're like, I don't feel that way in my heart. I don't feel like I love to tell any story. What story? So it exposed that in my heart. And I thought, man, what's the story? And I began to research it and look at it some more. And I began to think that one of our struggles, I think today is that we read the it's kind of in how we read the Bible. If you do like a scripture of the day thing, what are you, what are you grabbing from the Bible? Ideas, little fragments of ideas. And ideas can be a little helpful, but they're not the story. A story, a good story, you know, you all have favorite movies or books. A good story pulls you in. You feel what the story's feeling. And at the right moment, no matter how many times you've seen it. I was watching A Few Good Men again recently. And that moment when Jack Nicholson's like, you can't handle the truth. I got chills. And I've seen that movie 194 times. And it's just like, not actually, but I see that a lot. But I got chills again. Why do I still get chills every time, even though I know what's going to happen? It's a great story. It's a great story. Yeah. And I think we, we sometimes when we don't read the Bible uh, in, at length or at least listen to the Bible at length or get the story, we miss out on really this great, powerful thing that pulls us in. One of the reasons I love hymns, uh, some contemporary songs do this. We're going to close out today with a contemporary song that, that does do this. But sometimes hymns, or sorry, sometimes contemporary songs just kind of repeat the same thing, and that can be helpful. But the reason I like hymns is because there's almost always a story, and hymns are kind of long, you know, where it's like there was beyond the azure blue, a God concealed from human sight. Right? He's wow. We're starting in Genesis one with the song. It's going to be a long song, um, right? Uh, but there's songs that begin and they tell the story, and there's something beautiful about hearing the story. What's the story? Why is the story so important? You know, I think that sometimes we tell the wrong story. The story is that we're not enough. Sometimes I think sadly, and I think our I've, I've contributed to this, I'm sure. I think the story tells us that it's our story. Yes. And even that kid's kingdom song recently I was, I was singing, and I thought, I've got to change the words. But building up the kingdom for the Lord, as if we had anything to do with it. Yeah. We are building for the kingdom. The kingdom is already in full movement. We can choose to build for that kingdom. We can choose to be a part of that kingdom. Yeah. Eternal life is simply realizing that our life is, is never going to be enough, but we, get, we actually get caught up in God's life, in Jesus' life. Yeah. That is eternal life, to walk in intimacy, in active love with Christ. That's the story. Well, how do you know that, Drew? How do you know that's the story? You know, the Jews had forgotten their story. Yeah. And when they're sitting there in Ephesus prideful and, you know, arrogant as all get out. And Paul is saying, y'all need to chill because you remember the story. We, have, we tell the story once a year at Passover. Yeah. We tell that story and the kid asks, Dad, why are we eating bitter herbs? And you tell him, son, we're eating bitter herbs to remind us of the slavery that we were in in the Egyptians. We had no hope. Every meal, every day, everything in our life was just bitter. Dad, why are we eating this egg at Passover? This actually represents the labor, the pain that goes through, but the great uh, fruit that comes from labor and discipline and pain. God, why are we eating, why are we having this lamb shank? Well, what happened is that the, the great lamb, we were passed over. Really, we just, we were passed over. We deserved to die, but God passed over our house because he loved us. Dad, God, uh, God, uh, sorry. Dad why, God, why did God love us? I got it out there. Why did God love us, Dad? He just did. We had nothing. We were a a enslaved race in Egypt, the most powerful empire in the world. But he chose Israel, and he saved us. And we do this every year so that we can remember. And as Jesus sat in that upper room, and he took bread and he broke it, he told his disciples, do this and remember me. And they go, remember, this is the new Passover. As you sit down and have Passover, you remember that God saved you, even when you didn't deserve it. When you have communion, it is a time to remember that Jesus saved not one nation, but all of, all of his people. Neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, Jew nor Gen- you know, slave nor Scythian, slave nor free. God has saved all of us. And there's something powerful, I think, in telling ourselves that story. Because A, it is his story. Yes. We get to be part of his story. And the, the sooner that we realize, I was talking to Aaron about this before church, he, he was sharing about, you have these, uh, these moments of epiphany where you realize, wow, the same God who conducts lightning storms, that's my buddy. That's the guy I'm praying to right now. It's this moment of, wait, what in the world? But it actually changes your, you walk into the store and you're smiling. The guy's like, why are you smiling? Oh, um, like it changes your demeanor. We don't have to work so hard to try to be nice people who share their faith. We will be if we trust in who God says we are. We trust in God and who God says we are. What story? What's the story? Matthew one twenty two. Look, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It was mentioned earlier, the most powerful thing about Jesus, that he came down to be with us. The most powerful thing about Jesus, I think all of us would testify, yeah. that it was not that he was talented or brilliant uh, or charismatic, but that he was authentic. Mm-hmm. That he saw you for who you were and he, he let you see him for who he was, even in his weakness as he cried in the garden and bled uh, and sweated blood and was crucified and said, God, I don't know if I want to do this. We have recorded in our Bible God's weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Why record that? Because authenticity, connection, realness. If your family group is a family group of authenticity, of humility, of openness, I think that actually is a pretty good group. It'd be amazing to see. I, I dare you to bring a visitor and have them not want to come back. I dare people to come to church and not want to come back. And maybe the sermons are actually pretty bad, but the environment... <laughs> They go, man, in the environment. I remember asking Rashawn Smith recently about worship. And he says, you know, Drew, I remember going to church. And I remember thinking this worship is not my style. And I said, why'd you stay? He said, there was something different. Something was different there. Kept coming back. There's something powerful in that, in the environment that keeps you coming. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I like this part. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. Mm-hmm. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. Wow. Tell the story. and Your kids ask the story, Mom, why, why do we have communion? I remember I asked my parents, Mom, can I, can I take communion? She said, no. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you can take it when you're a disciple. Yeah. I said, why do I have to wait till I become a disciple? She said, you got to know what it means. Yeah. You've got to know what it means. Yeah. It has to have meaning for you. The bread is His flesh. The blood is... It juices his blood. This has power. I was looking forward to tasting it that very first time there when I was 14. Jesus was in the very existence of God, the form of God. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men and sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. I know that there are going to be barriers in our relationships with each other. Come back for part two. But part one, I think, is really about before we can trust ourselves with each other, we've got to trust ourselves with God. And I think we've got to go there in our heart first because then trusting ourselves with each other is infinitely easier. So let's begin with actually trusting in who God says we are. And finally, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will lift you up in due time if you humble yourself under his mighty hand. You know, I love this. If you're wondering, but Drew, how do I do it? How do we create these atmospheres? It's humility. It's humility. Humility is powerful. You ever gone to a discipling group and you start off and somebody starts off just being open and vulnerable? And you wonder, that was the best time ever. And sometimes it's hard to get that. You start off with a little bit of people are cantankerous at the beginning. It's like, we've got to get back on the right track. You start off with humility. It's amazing how things are incredible, how things go so well. And becoming a disciple is really not about Jesus knowing if you can cut it. It's not about you uh, repenting with your deeds so that you, okay, yeah, I can actually do this whole church thing. It is simply about you humbling out. When you realize I need to allow God to love me. Amen. Let's do it. Let's get you in the water. This is the time you can really enter the kingdom of God. Building for his kingdom, not building up his kingdom. Being caught up in his life. Communities not of cynical, blaming, critical disciples, but a vibrant and attractive community of people that are humble and authentic. Communities of trust and grace, not built on words, but built on the unshakable story of who God says I am and what Jesus has already done. The thing about this passage is great. He doesn't say, go be unified. He says, hey, y'all, that are struggling to be unified. Remember what Jesus has already done. Tell the story. Tell the story. But how do I actually love this guy? Tell the story. Let's start with what's already happened. Then we'll move on to the here and now. Building for his kingdom. I'm going to close out with a few words from that song, okay? I love to tell the story as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. It did so much for me. And that is just the reason I tell it now to thee. And if we can get to a place where we we can, man, I love the story. It did so much for me. That is now the reason I tell it now to thee. We're going to stand and sing in Christ alone, which is a great job of telling the story of Christ. And I want to encourage you, as we sing the words, remember the beautiful story of God loving you. you. Amen.